Okay, we started a series last week about emotions. We have good emotions and not so good emotions. And of course, the good emotions we don't need to discuss too much because they're good. So we're going to discuss over the next few weeks some of these negative emotions that for some people really have a big impact on their lives. So today's topic is simply guilt. You all familiar with this? <laughs> I think we all are. They do all kinds of surveys, and I don't know how many of you read, but there's this fascinating survey, I think, anyway. And here's the question on the survey. What would you do if you knew, 100% surety, that you would not, you could not get caught, that you'd get away with it? What would you do? There's no laws, there's no, there's no policemen. Now, if you read these, these surveys, the responses are horrifying. People would do anything and everything if they thought they could get away with it. So be thankful for laws and, and policemen because you know, who knows what your neighbor would do if uh, they thought they could get away with it. Simpler stuff like stealing or, or whatever. But I mean horrible stuff like killing and, and uh, cheating on their spouses and all kinds of other things. But what this survey does, which is interesting for our discussion, is this. People's hearts are exposed. Uh, if they thought they could get away with it, that's what's in there. That's what they would do. And the only reason they don't do it is because of the consequences if they get caught. So it exposes our hearts. So our discussion began last week. And if you missed last week, please uh, go back and watch it because these uh, kind of build on each other. It's so like a, one big long teaching or sermon <laughs> over four or five weeks. Uh, so we Talk about heart. Heart is at the center of uh, who we are and obviously our emotions. So this is a how-to series. We're trying to help you control, we're going to use that word, how to control the emotions that seek to control. And I think that's a misnomer. We, we, we allow or we think they control us. Emotions control us. But the reality is they don't. You control your Emotions. You can let them get out of control, but you have control. Most of the time, we monitor our behavior, meaning we don't do everything we think or feel. We monitor our behavior so it doesn't affect the people around us. So when you're single, you monitor your behavior so you can get a date with that person. Uh, you monitor your behavior so that person will marry you. Once you're married, you monitor your behavior so that person won't leave you <laughs> and you can stay married. So we monitor our behavior, <clears throat> but that's not enough, and that's not the, not the solution. In fact, our culture kind of pushes us the other way. You ever hear the term, follow your heart? Well, that could be okay if there's good things in your heart, but not so good if there's not so good things in your heart. So it depends what's on in there. So real quickly, we'll read part of what Jesus, we looked at what Jesus said last week. Um, he didn't say it last week. We talked about it last week. Uh, in Matthew, uh, he's talking about this issue about what, what puts you at odds with God. Is it some breaking some rule about washing your hands before you eat? And he said it this way. Anything you eat passes through your stomach and goes into the sewer. We all experience that every day. But the words you speak come from where? From the heart. And the heart refers to mind. 
That's what defiles you. That's what puts you at odds with God. So when you and I do things that puts us at odds with other people, hurt other people that God loves, then that puts us at odds with God. So then he goes on. He gives a list of some of those things. Uh, from on the heart comes evil thoughts. Good thoughts, but also evil thoughts. Thoughts come from, we think, mind. So here's a list. Murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. And then another gospel writer, Mark, who's writing for Peter, adds some more. Greed, wickedness, envy, pride, and foolishness. And this is an unexhaustive list. <laughs> That's just some of the evil things that come from your heart and mind. He said, these are the things you need to be concerned with. These are the things that defile you. These are the things that put you and I at odds with God. Eating with unwashed hands, uh, never defile you with it. And this is so when somebody does something, we say, boy, that was out of character. They acted some weird way or they said something just out of character. How is that possible? Because it's in there. And for whatever reason, it slipped. They didn't monitor that behavior at that point, and it slipped out. So, give you a simple vis visual to help you understand, all right? So, I know that's going to bother some of you, these bees are on the floor, right? but anyway. All right, so why did these pink beads come out of that, out of that um, cup? Well, you'd say, because I shook it. Well, not because I shook it. It's because that's what's in there, right? Water didn't come out of there. Actually, this is... Uh, not a solid cup. Couldn't put water in there. Um, you know, candy didn't come out of there. Uh, marbles didn't come out of there. The reason pink beads came out of there is because pink beads were in there. And when I shook it, that's why they came out. So that's what happens with you and I. When we're sh shaken, when we're stressed, when we're in pain or, or trauma, what comes out is can only come out is what's inside. Nothing else can come out. And so, uh, a week ago, I hurt my back, and, and I was in quite a bit of pain. At the same time, my wife had her surgery, and she was in a lot of pain, and she said I was a little irritable. <laughs> and uh, she said she understood, but the reason was because I was in pain. So, the only reason that came out was because it's inside there, just like it does for... Everybody, I would say. So I wanted to look at a, a key verse from somebody that was really wise. His name was Solomon. wrote thousands of years ago. And he wrote something on this topic. And here it is in Proverbs chapter 4. Above all else. So this is top priority. Priority almost priority number one. Above all else, guard your heart. Pay attention to your heart. Control it. For everything you do, flows from it. Another translation makes a little more sense to us in, in our terminology. Be careful what you think. You and I get to choose what we think about. At least we think about for any amount of time. Ideas can pop in your head, but you can not think about them. So be careful what you think about because your thoughts run your life. So from negative thoughts come negative emotions, from positive thoughts come positive emotions, and so more important than monitoring our behavior, which we're semi-good at, we need to monitor our hearts, which results in our emotions and behavior. And as we said, I think it was your homework assignment last week, 
what's in your heart will spill out on those who are closest to us. Um, if anybody was sitting in the front row, these beads would have spilled out on them, right? Um, so, I don't know about you, but I really care about the people that are closest to me, and I'm sure you do too. And so I don't want that negative stuff spilling out of me onto them. So, we need to guard our hearts. We can control our thoughts. So guarding our hearts involves cleaning out, I'm going to use the word poisons, that negative, negative stuff in there. But that's not enough, is it? Because it wants to come back in, doesn't it? So we need to get it out, and then we need to find some way to keep it out. And we use a phrase um, that helps us, I think, think about this. Who is the boss of you? Or what is the boss of you? Is it some negative emotion that's controlling you? Or a negative thought? Or is it some positive thought? And of course, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, hopefully this will be helpful to you. I think it will be. As a Jesus follower, we're going to talk about this. We have a boss. So today's topic, I already told you what it was. Guilt, everybody's familiar with that, right? <laughs> we all have done wrong things or not done right things and we felt guilty about it unless you're, a, you know, psychologically unstable. Uh, you should feel guilty about some bad stuff you do. And guilt is something you feel, isn't it? It's not just a thought. It's also something you feel. So here, here's a quick definition. Guilt is the emotion that is associated with acknowledging that we've done something wrong, either actively or passively. Passively meaning I haven't done the right thing. Now, there's lots of forms of guilt. One big category I want to just touch on and we'll move on. That's something that's called false guilt. You ever feel, just feel guilty? <laughs> Can't you put your finger on why? Uh, the Bible says we're all sinners, so I know I've sinned, so I'm just, I'm, I'm guilty. Well, yes, but um, that's false guilt. That's the evil one trying to uh, paralyze you and make you useless in God's kingdom. And he'll do that if you let him. So, the positive way to say this is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When you come under conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's about something. And so then you can confess that and move on. Uh, so, false guilt is just this kind of this negative feeling and just say, oh, Satan, leave me alone. Uh, when I've done something wrong, the Spirit of God will convict me for it. We're going to talk about real guilt, <laughs> stuff when we've done something wrong. <clears throat> now, what do we do with guilt? A couple of things we normally do with guilt, not the most positive thing, is we deny it, meaning, eh, it <laughs> I really wasn't supposed to do that, or wasn't it, you know, I, I did this, but it's not, it's not a problem. Or excusing it, like, yeah, I was young, or everybody else was doing it, or it was not that bad. Or being defined by it. And this is, I, I put it this way, we either try and stuff it, or we try and wallow in it. You know, I'm a terrible person, I just do terrible things, I'm no good, nobody could love me, blah, 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 blah. Okay? That's normally what the, we negatively do or try and deal with guilt. Let me explain a couple of things about guilt before we look at, a, at what God has to say about it. Um, first, guilt creates a debt-debtor relationship. What do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> every time you and I 
do something that we are guilty of, we have taken something from someone else. We've taken their childhood away from them. We've taken their peace of mind away from them. They may have taken something physically away from them, financially away from them. We may have taken away their reputation by gossiping. Anytime you and I have sinned, producing guilt, we have taken something from someone. Now, the way you can think about this is, how do, how do we say something? When, I, when, I, when I've hurt somebody or harmed somebody, how do I express that? I say, I owe that person an apology. Isn't that the way we say it? I've taken something from them, so I, I owe them. Now, the problem is, most of the time, what we've taken, we can't give back. Money, we can give back. But if I've taken somebody's reputation, I can't give that back to them. If I've taken their time, I can't get that, take that back, give that back to them. So that causes this dilemma. <clears throat> I'm in debt to a debt and a debt I cannot pay. The other thing about guilt is we experience it as weight. That's why I say it's a feeling. It's a, it's a, a weight on us. It's a, a negative feeling. Uh, it throws us off balance. I was thinking about being Father's Day. Uh, one of the issues with being a parent is it's easy to feel guilty that you weren't a perfect parent, and none of us were. So, especially if your kids are struggling, you think, well, if I had been a better parent, maybe they would be struggling with this now. It's so easy to feel guilty as parents. It just really is, isn't it? <clears throat> so, how do you feel when you feel guilty? You feel a weight. Now, again, how do we express this? Well, when I get past it, I, I say things like this. Well, I, I just feel like a weight's been lifted off of me. You know, this, uh, this issue with my spouse or my kids or somebody else, it's been fixed or reconciled, and so now a weight's been lifted off of me. Now, the problem with this weight is we carry it everywhere we go. So if the source of the guilt was at work, you take it home. If the source of the guilt was at home, you take it to work. If it was at home, you take it to church. If it was at church, you take it home. And so you take it with you wherever you go. So often, those who are affected by it aren't the, po <laughs> aren't the place where we caused it. And I'm just going to mention this here because we're going to talk about it in two weeks. But guilt often exposes itself as anger. We don't usually think, connect the two. Uh, <clears throat> What happens is when I feel guilty, I'm angry at myself for what I did or didn't do. And again, then I take it out on the people around me. So again, I was guilty at work, but I come home and take, take it out on my, my family or vice versa. Uh, another way to think about it, it, it leaks out, doesn't it? You just can't hold it in. <clears throat> now, why do we try and suppress our guilt? Well, the biggest reason is when we try and suppress our guilt is because if we embrace it, if we admit to it, what happens? Then we're condemned. We're guilty, right? <laughs> and I can't undo the past. I can't go back and live my, relive my teen years, my 20s, my parenting years. I can't, I, I, I can't. You can't. Nobody can. And so if I admit my guilt, then I'm condemned. What can I do? Now, one thing we try and do is we try and forget our past. You ever try and forget? The interesting thing is the worst things from their pa your past are the hardest things to forget, aren't they? In fact, you probably never forget them. 
But that shouldn't be your goal, and I'll explain this in a minute. Your past was not designed to be left behind. It's part of who you are, especially if you're a Jesus follower, how God has changed you and made you who you are today. Yes, I did that then, but I, I am different now. Uh, changing together, we talk about changing together. So is there another option besides wallowing in it and stuffing it? Well, we're going to look at something, a guy by the name of Paul, actually originally was Saul of Tarsus. Now this guy was a, a religious fanatic, Jewish religious fanatic. And when Christianity came along, he thought it was a, a, an atrocity. And so he made it his life goal to wipe out Christianity. And so he went around having Christians arrested, uh, put in prison, and even at one account in the, in the book of Acts in the Bible says he participated in a guy by the name of Stephen actually being killed for the only reason is because he was a Jesus follower. Well, then this guy became a, Saul became a Jesus follower through this dramatic encounter with, with Jesus. He became a Jesus follower, and he gave that religious zeal to becoming, to being a Jesus follower. The problem is he couldn't go back and undo his past, could he? And so here's a guy who probably has a reason for more guilt than any of us, maybe all of us combined. Probably none of us have killed somebody. <clears throat> so when I read this, I want you to hear it not as Bible. It is Bible. But this is a guy that had all this guilt and how he dealt with it. He documented it. That's how we know all this stuff. He didn't deny it. He documented it, but he dealt with it. So this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It's in a book we call Romans. It's something, a letter Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And chapter 8 starts this way. <clears throat> Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Well, I sure feel condemned. I feel guilty. No guilty version, no punishment. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I've done these wrong things. In, my, in Paul's case, I, I've literally helped in prison, in some cases, people be killed. So I thought about, uh, we could think about it this way. Can you imagine being on death row? You did something so bad that our society decided <laughs> we're just going to kill you, get rid of you. Can you imagine being on death row and then getting a reprieve? Not just, they're not going to execute you, you just have to spend life in prison, but no, you're let out of prison. You're, you're scot-free. Can you imagine that? Well, in some respects, all of us are on death row. We've all sinned. The wage of sin is death. So we're all going to die. As I get older, the more it becomes real to me. You know, aches and pains in your body. We're all going to die. But we don't have to die permanently, spiritually. We don't need to be separated from God for eternity. And so that's what Paul's going to tell us here. So, where or how can I be without condemnation? Well, he goes on. Not everybody can say that. There's a certain group of people that can say they now have no condemnation. Who are those people? For those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, who believe in Him as their personal Lord and Savior. 
Okay, so if you're a Jesus follower here or watching, you have no condemnation. If you're not a Jesus follower, that's not true. You are still condemned under penalty for your, your sins and your shortcomings. That's why this is such a critical topic. So why do Jesus follow, are Jesus followers not under condemnation? I've done lots of wrong things. Well, he explains. And because you belong to him, to who? Jesus. <clears throat> the power, or some translations say, the law of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I'm physically going to die, but I'm never going to be separated from God. Death means separation. Never going to be. Because I belong to Jesus. That's life-changing. So then he goes on. Uh, I love this word. He says, the law, what the law was powerless to do. What could the law not do? <laughs> the law can't undo my past. It, the, the law can't make me not guilty. The law cannot take away my condemnation. In fact, the law is just, just the opposite, doesn't it? <laughs> because of the law, I know I'm a mess up. I know I'm a screw up. I know I do things I shouldn't do. The law condemns me. And the law is a reminder to me that I have sinned. Done, if you don't like the word sin, done wrong things, hurt people. He goes on. So, okay, I'm stuck. What can I do? The law condemns me. I'm, I feel condemned. He said, next two words. Love these two words. God did. So I'm stuck. I can't fix it. I'm condemned. Somebody else has to do it for me. Who better but God? So God did. Now, the question is, how did he do it? This is the gospel. Next verse. Of course, Paul's writing this as a letter, so he's just writing <clears throat> oh, no, we didn't finish. Yeah, this is the next verse. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So God said, okay, I'm going to send my Son. He's in heaven with me. I'm going to send Him to earth. He's going to have a body. And his flesh is not going to be sinful because I'm His Father, not an earthly father. So he can live a sinless life in the flesh. Well, why is that important? To be a sin offering. Offering for sin have to be sinless or spotless. None of us can do it because we're all sinners, right? So God sent his own son to take our place because he could do it when I couldn't. And so, consequently, he condemned sin in the flesh. So, as great as it is that Jesus took his, our sin upon him on the cross, it's even better than that. He not only took his, our sin upon him on the cross, he took our condemnation with him on the cross. All of us as Jesus followers, probably all of us understand that our sins are forgiven, but we still feel condemned, don't we? No, no, we shouldn't. So here's the way I'm going to put it. You and I are guilty, but not condemned. Another way to think about that is see ourselves the way God sees us. And there's this kind of theological 
I'm going to get too theological. But God can't look on sin. So the only way he can look on you and I is through the blood of Christ. And so how does he see us? As sinless or forgiven. So consequently, there's nothing to be condemned, is there? One more verse, we'll finish up. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us. So penalty had to be paid. Jesus paid the penalty. So it's kind of um, using the analogy of um, the being in, on death row, get out of jail free card. In fact, one way to think about this, as far as God's concerned, those things that you and I feel guilty about never happened. Now, is this a big deal or a little deal? No deal. This is a huge deal. So I'm going to give you four ramifications of it, and we'll be finished. Firstly, we're guilty but not condemned, so we forfeit the right to condemn ourselves because we're not yours to condemn. We talked about this last week. You're bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. Huge price. So now you're not your own. You're bought with this price. You have a new boss. You, know, you never were your own boss. Those of you who aren't Jesus followers, you're not your own boss. Uh, but now we choose our boss. We choose a good boss. We choose God to be our boss. So, I don't even have the right to condemn myself. Secondly, guilty but not condemned. Your guilt will remind you but not define you. You don't need to, to wallow in it. You don't need to feel defeated and paralyzed and useless in God's kingdom. Most of you, or a lot of you, have probably at least taught a Sunday school class or a small group or something like that. And anytime you're teaching the gospel, it's easy to think, well, I don't deserve to be up there talking about this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm the sinner. I've done this. I've done that. No, 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 no. I'm guilty but not condemned. I don't have to be defined by the things that I've done that I shouldn't do. It reminded me of a story of Jesus. <clears throat> this uh, sinful lady comes to Jesus and falls at her feet and anoints, anoints him and, and washes his feet with her tears and her hair. Now there's this uh, religious Jew there and he's upset about this. He goes, Jesus, if you're a rabbi, you shouldn't let this sinful person touch you. So Jesus uses a simple illustration. He says, okay, if somebody owes somebody $50 and somebody else owes them $5,000 and that person forgives both of their debts, who, which one's the most grateful? And the guy responds, he says, well, of course, the guy who got forgiven, 5000 And then he says this to this man, I tell you, her sins, and there are many, I'm not denying, he's a sinful person, but they've been forgiven. As a result of it, forgiveness, she has shown me much love, as much, I mean, she just can't love me enough. But a person who feels like they're forgiven a little, let's just put it that way, because if you're forgiven, you're forgiven a lot, shows only a little love. We might use the word gratitude. And if you have trouble being grateful to God for what you, you've been forgiven, then you don't understand your sinfulness. 
And that's what the, this guy, he didn't realize how sinful he was. <clears throat> Do you ever be listening to a Christian song, maybe here at worship, uh, in our worship time or at home, and just uh, tears come to your eyes? It happens to me occasionally. And what has happened? Well, that's a gratitude just bubbling up in you that, God, that you've done this for me. Thirdly, guilty or not condemned, I forfeit the right to condemn others. Why? Because that make me a hypocrite, wouldn't it? The Bible talks about freely received, freely what? Give. All right? I've received no the gift of no condemnation from God. Freely give it to others. And lastly, guilty but not condemned, you're free to make restitution without excuses. What am I talking about? Well, Christianity is not, I've wronged this person, God, please forgive me, thank you, forgive me, and go on with life like nothing's happened. That's not Christianity. Christianity is doing that and then going to that person and saying, I owe you an apology. Remember that? I'm sorry. Asking forgiveness and hopefully receiving it from that person without making excuse. Well, you know, I had a headache. I used to tell my wife, oh, I was nasty because I had a headache. No excuses. Go, humble yourself, apologize. Freely received, freely give. Why don't we do that? Well, we fear the consequences of confession more than the consequences of concealment. But when we do that, guess what? What we're concealing has become the boss of us. And the only reason we don't do that is something we call pride. Refusing to humble ourselves. So, do you want guilt to be your boss? Or we're going to say, let's say it together. Guilt, you're not the boss of me. Hey, come on. I didn't hear anybody say it. Let's do it again. Guilt, you're not the boss of me. Excellent. Good job. Maybe you did that at home. All right. Quick homework assignment and let you go. Connected with this last point. If someone waiting for you to make the first move or step toward restitution, I encourage you to humble yourself and go and try and make that right. All right, we'll talk about another negative emotion next week. Hopefully you can join us. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. We thank you. This is so amazing. This is so powerful that I can live without condemnation because of what Jesus has done for me. So I want to pray for anyone out there, God, that is struggling with condemnation. If they're not a Jesus follower, they should be. They can't undo it. They can't fix it. I would pray, God, that they would understand that you did what they couldn't do. And if they accept that gift, they will be declared not guilty, no condemnation, and enter into this eternal relationship with the Almighty God. Most of us probably watching or listening or, or present are Jesus followers. But I'm sure, especially when we do something we can think consider worse than normal. We suffer from guilt and condemnation. So God, help us understand that, yes, we should feel convicted when we do something wrong. We should confess it to you, God, and, and make it right with other people, and then live freely. 
No condemnation. God, that is so awesome. Thank you for that amazing gift. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.